This is District Sentinel Radio. I am Sam Knight. Before we get into this week's chip chat, we have a special segment for you, an audio version of the latest edition of our newsletter, which you can subscribe to for free at districtsentinel.substack.com. Before we get into it, I'd also like to ask you to support us if you can. Head over to patreon.com slash district sentinel and subscribe for just $5 a month. It gets you access to all our audio content, plus you get access to Means TV and all the great things available there. If you can't afford a subscription right now but still want to listen to all our stuff, reach out. We can hook it up. DM us on Twitter at the DC Sentinel or email us at dcsentinelnews at yahoo.com or email me personally, Samuel Edwards Knight at gmail.com. We don't want money to get in the way of you and our news content, but if you can support us, help us keep the lights on for just a few bucks a month. Anyway, without further delay, here's an audio version of the latest newsletter post, All Else Being Equal, Capitalism Will Suffocate the Planet. For all the claims about communism only working in theory, capitalist thought is built on thoroughly asinine assumptions. The idea that markets efficiently allocate resources hinges on the assumptions that individuals are purely rational beings and that information about commodities flows freely. The idea that markets are competitive is built on the assumption that business owners will not act on their class interests by colluding with one another over time, not even implicitly, and the idea that a higher minimum wage causes unemployment is built on the assumption that one must analyze the impact of higher wages on demand for labor in a vacuum, ignoring the fact that poor people with more money will spend most of it, thereby stimulating economic output. With a few simple assumptions, alchemy becomes chemistry. Recently, we saw an incredible iteration of this type of narrow-minded thinking on display during a hearing held by the Senate Banking Committee. The top Republican on the panel, Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, blasted the Federal Reserve for its meager approach to addressing the impact of climate change on the financial industry by making an incredibly facile assumption. Put simply, neither the warming of the Earth's temperature nor severe weather events are a threat to the stability of the financial system. Experience bears this out. In the last 11 years, a time period that included four of the five costliest hurricanes in U.S. history, we haven't found one bank failure caused by any weather event. In fact, we're not aware of any bank failure in the modern era due to weather. It's maddening enough that Toomey's analysis comes with the steady rise of the oceans threatening coastal communities across the world. On top of this, the western U.S. is currently dealing with debilitating droughts with the hottest months of summer yet to come. Farmers in New Mexico are being told to refrain from planting crops this year. Ranchers in Washington are selling their cattle and applying for emergency aid as grass for grazing has withered. The governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, urged his state's residents to pray for rain this past weekend with soil moisture at record lows. In North Dakota at the start of May, wildfires had already burned six times as many acres in the state as they do in the average year. And 130 houseboats have been forced off of a receding Lake Oroville in California, which provides drinking water to 27 million people and water to 4 to 5 million acres of farmland. Yet, Senator Toomey wants us to believe that regulators overseeing the financial industry, which exists to manage risk, should be indifferent to these calamities, which are increasingly becoming predictable annual events. Even if oceans weren't rising, the parching of the western United States would be enough to cause panic among those tasked with ensuring economic stability. Fortunately for Toomey, despite his tantrum, the Fed's plans to address climate change don't amount to much. The central bank has merely been pressing big banks to reveal how their balance sheets could be adversely impacted by the effects of climate change, something that many banks have already been doing 
in part because European regulators are getting ready to subject global banks to climate-related stress tests this year. The Fed's aim, as Reuters reported on May 13th, is simply, quote, to identify risk. Here was Fed Chair Jerome Powell in March. We, we actually are just in the very early stages of considering uh, stress scenarios, and that's what others are doing, too. They're it's an emerging idea. It's not actually something that people are conducting now, but we're doing that and many other things to, again, to, to get a basic understanding of, of how the financial system can be resilient against what may be very significant emerging risks over time. We already know what risks are increasing to the financial sector and the entire planet, thanks in part to bank support of Dirty Energy Ventures. A coalition of groups led by 350.org, Sierra Club, Public Citizen, Americans for Financial Reform, and Rainforest Action Network has therefore called on the Fed to implement, quote, capital requirements to reflect climate risk and to use its authorities to limit the financing of emissions. The Fed has declined to go this route, but with disclosure requirements, the central bank can at least pretend that it's trying to do something. The biggest banks in the country are also taking action of a similar kind, pledging PR-friendly moves that cast a pall over the planet's future. Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley have all recently set themselves targets of financing ventures with net zero emissions by 2050. In the short term, however, they will continue to finance dirty energy projects, despite pleas from scientists for governments to cease the establishment of new fossil fuel infrastructure to meet the goals set by the same governments under the Paris Climate Accord, limiting the warming of the planet from pre-industrial levels to 1.5 degrees Celsius, thereby avoiding the point at which the catastrophic impact of warming becomes irreversible. This call to keep oil and gas in the ground was recently echoed by the International Energy Agency, long an industry-friendly organization. But the capitalists who run the world, who put hundreds of billions of dollars into fossil fuel ventures annually, are continuing to ignore the pleas. This was J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon being asked about climate change before the Senate Banking Committee, the day after Toomey scolded the Fed. I think we need a really a mature conversation around climate. We need carbon tax. We need industry policy. It's not just about banks stopping financing. We're going to need oil and gas for a long time. They're clearly operating on a different set of assumptions than the actual scientists. Let's chip chat. We're joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello, Sam and Sam. Hello, Chip. Hello, hello, hello. So it seems like with Trump out of office, we're learning more and more about uh, his administration's surveillance exploits against journalists. Uh, we knew that a few weeks ago it was reported that Barbara Starr over at CNN was uh, surveilled, which is funny because um, there probably hasn't been a Pentagon journalist more favorable to the Pentagon uh, in the last few decades than Barbara Starr, uh, yet the administration felt like they needed to keep tabs on what was going on, I guess probably to find some leaker or something, uh, or whatever their claim is. Now we're learning that uh, some... She wasn't, she wasn't uh, uh, enthusiastic enough in her cheerleading, and they were worried. They were checking on her. They were worried. She's been compromised. It was, it was a wellness check. <laughs> so now we've got a new batch of reporters at the New York Times, it turns out, uh, that were targeted. They had their phone records uh, confiscated here. Correct, Chip? Yeah. So a couple days ago, we learned that as part of a leak investigation, the Trump administration seized the phone records of four New York Times reporters for people who don't know what that means. This is non-content information. This is metadata. So this is like who called them, who did they call, how long were the calls for. Um, and we earlier in the last month have learned also that the Trump administration did something similar to Barbara Starr. They pulled the phone records of both her Pentagon extension number, 
the CNN Pentagon phone book number, her work, and then her work email and her personal email. Once again, this was non-content data. This was, you know, who emailed her, who she called, etc. And then slightly before that, it also turned out that they had um, done the same thing to reporters at the Washington Post. We've also learned that Bob Barr was seeking a subpoena against the person who was operating a David Nunes uh, parody account, um, which 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 continued on. It was a towel, into the- right? It was some kind of towel. De- Devin Munez. I don't know if it was the cow or not. I thought it was the cow, and then I read the. Twi- I, don't, I don't. I don't know. There's multiple parody accounts involved. There here. could be. I don't really track Devin Nunes parody. Uh, <laughs> it is not my beat. I'm a little bit fixated on like you know, the Espionage Act to see what fictitious. We'll bring on a different doing. expert next week to a cow expert. That's fine. That is fine. Um, but but they'd previously done so to to Washington Post reporters and three Washington Post reporters. And all of this is in early 2017. It all centers around initially reporting around Michael Flynn's activities, as well as around um, uh, so-called Russian interference in the election. And these were part, uh, we know very little about about what they were seeking other than their leak investigations. And it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, Jeffrey Sterling, uh, the whistleblower who was in jail for three and a half years under the Espionage Act, convicted of giving information to James Risen. He denied he did so. Uh, the sole evidence against him presented at trial was the metadata of his calls with James Risen, right? That he had called James Risen, James Risen had called for him, and they spoke for like two minutes and 30 seconds on the phone or, or something like that. And that circumstantial evidence alone uh, was enough to convict Jeffrey Sterling in the Eastern District of Virginia. I will uh, again note that Sterling claims he was wrongfully convicted and that I, you know, tabling for a second the fact that it's a whistleblower indicted under the espionage. I mean, if I was on a jury, I would not return an indictment based on that evidence, right? I, I think it's extremely, extremely weak evidence. Unfortunately, uh, due process and reasonable doubt don't mean very much in this country anymore. Uh, and so you get these sort of absurd convictions of people based on on metadata, especially, a, re- especially it, reporters phone calls. I mean, a reporter calls all sorts of people to try. And I mean, you don't know if information was exchanged there. A reporter could have just been digging. Yeah. So, I mean, with these whistleblower cases, they sort of run these um, trials ba- or indictments based on, you know, who knew the information and who spoke to James Risen. So, you know, in the Daniel Hale case, which we talked about a lot, Daniel Hale was not allowed to argue in court that someone else uh, gave information, was the source of the leak, unless he could prove the existence of someone who had that information and had a relationship with the same reporter. Uh, Funny story, in Jeffrey Sterling's case, his defense did present evidence of the existence of someone, one of the prosecution's witnesses, uh, was a Senate intelligence employee who had been fired from the committee for giving information to the exact same journalist, right? And and the whole reason James, or not James, right? The whole reason Jeffrey Sterling is targeted is because in 2003, he went to the Senate Intelligence Committee as a whistleblower and gave the information about Operation Merlin, this the CIA uh, covert action against Iran's nuclear program. And, and then... It shows up in James Risen's book in 2006, and the Bush administration is very convinced that someone from the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, had given James Risen this this information. You know, a number of people knew the information that that, Ry- that Sterling had that Risen published, and Sterling was not the only one of them to public to talk to to James Risen. Uh, but but the metadata sent him to jail for three and a half years. So, so this is, you know, one of the types of reporting we've seen is, you know, this unprecedented, shocking Trump administration move. But with all of Trump's attacks on the press, all of Trump's attacks on whistleblowers, right, the, the precedent was very much set in the Obama and Bush administrations with, you know, Bush setting up a task force to go after whistleblowers, uh, Obama prosecuting more under the Espionage Act than any other administration before him combined. 
and the Obama administration literally putting someone in jail based on the type of information the Trump administration was seeking from these reporters. So I I I I I, I do think it is important to realize these tools were given to to Trump by by Obama. It does seem the Trump administration was looking for um you know leaks in about Russiagate and Michael Flynn. Usually with leak investigations, they do not originate within the political part of the branch. They come from the NSA or they come from the CIA and they push this. Whereas this does look like, you know, Trump was looking for reporters that are, um, you know, implying he had Russian involvement. Yeah. People, people know what I feel legal matters. It's not legal matters. Yeah, just like you know, Barr pursuing the Devin Nunes Cal account. Yeah. You know, not a not a national security matter, as far as I'm aware. So um, Nunes, uh, sorry, uh, Barr did not pursue uh, at Devin Cow. It was at Devin Alt. It was at mm. Nunes Alt, but the uh, the Devin Cow account has been. Uh, mentioned in the background of the story because Nunes himself tried to sue, he tried to sue Twitter for $250 million. Uh, and he also sued Nunes Alt and uh, De- at Devin Cow, and the uh, the suit was dismissed. And he tried to have them unmask the identity of the cow. I mean, that was a huge, <laughs> that, was, that was the huge uh, free press, right? NAACP v. Alabama, you have a right to anonymous speech. Um, you know, here you have the government trying to unmask people who are engaging in anonymous speech. That's supposed to be be a yeah. be a no no. Chip, is your alarm going off? Yes. I, can I get that? Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't yeah. You go that? ahead. We'll take it. We'll take a take a second beat here, so that Chip can turn his alarm off that has been going blaring in the background for the last two minutes of this interview here it's the injustice alarm it uh it, it rings. sounds it, it rings my when... alarm telling me not to sleep past 10 so Chip... I, buddy i wish i could sleep past 10 yeah same i wish i could sleep past seven uh chip you were talking about the precedent i wish set... i could fall asleep before three in the morning so you know okay well fair point no matter how many hours a night I sleep, no matter how tired I am, I from like ten to two, I am just wide awake. Yeah, we're on we're on different sleep schedules. I fall asleep at like ten thirty nowadays. Um, so you were talking about the precedents set. Uh, the Obama administration targeted and AP post. journalists. Yeah. Yes. Um, There's specifically uh, the 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 Obama administration targeting AP journalists' phone records. There was Fox News reporter. Yeah, Fox James Jeff, Rosen. Jo- Jeffrey Rosen. Um, uh, Jeffrey Rosen followed me on Twitter for a while. It was kind of weird. Uh, he still might follow me. Um, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Rob, Rob Schneider has unfollowed me on Twitter. Uh, I had Rob Schneider's follow for a while. Was he on? Was he on a television show? He was that. He was on Saturday Night Live yeah. for a while. He was the making copies guy. He, he's kind of. So a, he wasn't the guy who was on All in the Family and then became an expert on Russia. Uh, I don't think no. so. He's a, didn't one of the liberal resistance groups have like the guy who played the son on All in the Family as like the spokesperson, and he's like, "We're at war with Russia," and it's like, "I'm sorry, what?" Sounds sounds accurate. Sounds like that's that sounds true. that sounds correct. Rob, Rob Schneider, Schneider was the Deuce anti, Bigelow. Yeah, he's Deuce Bigelow. Uh, he's the anti-vaxer liberal. He's an anti-vaxer liberal. He's kind of one of there those used Hollywood. To be a lot of those. Yeah, one of those Hollywood anti-vax liberals. Um, anyways, a lot of anti-vaxers on the left. Yeah, there are. It's uh, well, it's, it's, it's a California thing. I think it's like a rich. I think uh, part of it was like an anti-corporate globalization thing. There was that angle to it. That's true. I think there's like an becoming Sandy Hook truthers. There's also a, I think there's also a um, link between um, people who uh, criticize Monsanto and uh, transgenic agriculture, which uh, has problems for sure. But usually the people who fixate on, on, on these issues don't exactly get to the crux of uh, why these things are uh, problematic, why Monsanto and um, 
and uh, uh, crops that are built to resist heavy applications of pesticide are uh, problematic. Yeah, with the like late 90s, early 2000s anti-corporate globalization movement, there is a lot of anti-Monsanto, a lot of anti-GMO, and some of that did bleed over into anti-vaxxer stuff. Uh, who then all became like Sandy Hook truthers. I don't really understand the GMO to school shootings aren't real pipeline, but <laughs> it is. Uh, if you go on that website, right, like naturalfoodnews.com. Have you been on that website, like naturalfoodnews.com? It's been a while. And like all, and you're like, oh, I'm going to learn about like organic kale. I'm going to learn about <laughs> organic kale. Then like all the articles are like, Sandy Hook didn't happen. It was a false flag. Yeah. Like, why do you? Is this? This is not news about natural food. I'm very, very upset. I wanted to learn about like, you know, organic kale and how like corn syrup and the salad dressing caused COVID. Um, but instead, I'm I'm getting you know, different conspiracy theories. Not well, the conspiracy theories I wanted to read. Well, before I got sidetracked by bragging about my followers on my big You're verified Twitter oh, account, okay. I uh, I was saying, you know, that there was that scandal, I quote scandal, yes. under the Obama administration where it was revealed that they were targeting journalists. It they, should have been more of a scandal, but right. the only scandal was Obama wearing a damn tan <laughs> suit. Uh, it was taupe. <laughs> um, so, oh, wow. So, a taupe suit. Yeah, do you remember that, Jeff? I'm sure you do. I remember sure that. Remember. I've seen the meme. Yeah. I've seen the meme. The only, but that's not true because there was also the scandal about Barack Obama not saluting the uh, air, the helicopter. Because he had his coffee uh, when cup. he was carrying the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Even though no president did this before Ronald Reagan, as they are not, you know, members of the military, and Ronald Reagan was just deranged. <laughs> Um, thought he had been in the military because he had been in a movie where he played a military member. In response to criticism, the Obama administration put out some like window dressing reforms about how yes. if if we're gonna t if journalists are gonna have their phone records collected, then it's got to be signed off by like the attorney general, yes. which is thought well, you know, Eric Holder's a reasonable guy. You know, we should I liberals are like well, I'm saying you know the way liberals at the time responded who were satisfied with these sort of window dressing reforms as they trust Eric Holder. Of course, the next guy who was attorney general was Jeff Sessions, uh, who seemed to have no qualms whatsoever uh, about targeting leakers or being a part of this war on leakers within the administration. And therefore, any sort of safeguard that, oh, well, we're going to require the attorney general, who knows the significance, obviously, of, of targeting journalists, just immediately evaporated. So one of the quote-unquote reforms that Barr put in place in response to sort of the FBI's, you know, both actual and imagined misconduct during the Trump-Russia investigation was that in order to open, an, an, I think, an investigation on a, a sitting elected official or candidate for office, you had to get the attorney general's approval, and the liberals freaked out about that, like, how dare you have to get the approval of the attorney general to spy on Unelected. Of course, it's a completely reasonable uh, reform. And, you know, when you have these types of investigations that are of an extremely sensitive nature, the person at the very top of the chain should have to approve each one. You know, do I think that Eric Holder or Jeff Sessions or Bill Barr are going to make good choices? The answer is probably not. But the fact that you have to get each of them to sign off on something, whether it's opening an investigation into a uh, member of Congress or seizing a journalist phone records or even just opening an investigation into like local anti-pipeline activists I totally think the Attorney General should have to sign off on it uh, as far as the holder guidelines one of the questions that has been thrown out there is whether or not they followed them or not and I know a lot of press freedom groups have sent letters to the Biden Justice Department demanding they answer the question as to whether or not the guidelines were followed. I know that Wyden, uh, Ron Wyden and Jamie Raskin are considering legislation on this subject. I generally prefer legislation to guidelines from the Attorney General um, since they're harder to change. So, so yeah, after the James Risen scandal where Eric Holder uh, tried to briefly consider putting James Risen in jail, right, for not naming his source, 
during the Jeffrey Sterling persecution. Uh, the end result of that was the widespread horror and the implementing of these guidelines. Maybe this is just my uh, my own fixation on this subject, but I'm I'm still thinking about the Jeffrey Sterling uh, conviction and uh, the. the um, it seems like a good reform. Uh, a low-hanging fruit reform, so to speak, would be to move any national security uh, uh, case, so to speak, out of the Eastern District of Virginia, where you're more likely to get a jury full of people who either are like Pentagon national security contractors or who live on a street entirely full of national security contractors and would therefore be uh, uh, more sympathetic to the uh, prosecution's case by virtue of their own economy that they live in. Yeah, no, I absolutely do not think these cases should be automatically brought in the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, as we've discussed numerous times on the Chip Chat segment in relationship to numerous different trials brought in the Eastern District of Virginia, that there is zero way a whistleblower can get a fair trial in that district. Right, the Jeffrey Sterling conviction is absurd. Um, I, 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 I do think there's a greater process with sort of problem with sort of erosion of norms around due process in our society. But I also think that's just also the Eastern District being absurd. Right, returning a conviction based on circumstantial evidence. So I don't think most people realize this because circumstantial evidence is usually used as a pejorative term as a legal matter. Uh, circumstantial evidence is no less evidence than like non-circumstantial evidence, right? And you can convict someone, you can send someone to the death penalty, you can give someone the death penalty based, you know, solely on circumstantial evidence. I don't think most people realize that because when you hear circumstantial evidence in layman's terms, it's like, you have circumstantial evidence, Sam, I ate the M&Ms implying that, you know, your evidence is not real evidence well, to well, I think accuse all me sorts of eating of, the evidence. There's all sorts of types of circumstantial evidence, some a lot stronger than than others. Um, but for, in legal terms, circumstantial evidence is evidence. You can convict someone yeah. on circumstantial evidence alone. You can you can you can murder someone. Well, there's certain circumstances that alone. are irrefutable, like that are just like well, there's only one one situation in which these circumstances could have uh, arisen. Mm, I still. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the debate is here, though. We're, but we're getting at, into at, a, yeah. a legal at, epistemological debate that might be a bit above uh, the two Sam's pay grade here. I think we're going to have to. Well, I think to... I, I think that I think that you know, there's a certain thing where Sam it's Sachs like. I don't want Sam Sachs in my jury. Well, I don't the, want Sam Sachs in my like jury. Like if there's people saying, well, um, you know, the Wuhan lab was located in the same place that yes. the coronavirus started. You know, that's a that's a piece of circumstantial evidence. It is. It's it not. Is it's not. Uh, it's not uh, as strong as scientific evidence that would find traces of the virus elsewhere, not related to the Wuhan lab. No, but you're saying you're just like the NDA authorization to investigate the origins of Lyme disease, right? Is based on similar circumstantial evidence that Lyme disease, when we first recognized it, emerged in this town Lyme, where there was a U.S. bioweapons facility which is you know when 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 illnesses when strange illnesses arise near you know bio research or bio weapons people tend to wonder is there a connection well i i'm not familiar with this lyme disease the lyme disease really this seems like one of the conspiracy theories you'd be really into um, well, we'll so lyme disease <laughs> okay let's lyme get into disease it <laughs> named after a town called lyme something and like in that town was a U.S. bioweapons research lab, and several years ago, in the NDAA, Congress authorized, like 40 years after the fact, an investigation into essentially was Lyme disease a lab leak. Oh, shit. Um, Were they infecting ticks and stuff? <laughs> I, well, since that, like in the intervening 40 years between the discovery of, you know, Lyme disease, this strange illness, and like I think it was like Lyme. Lyme, Connecticut, or something like that I don't know, and and you know the NDAA, like we've discovered like like fossils or, or frozen ambers or something like thousands of years old with the same disease in it, but mm. it was first discovered after a weird outbreak in a town where there was a U.S. bio U.S. So bio you're saying it was a, Congress, 
it was an ancient alien research lab that leaked Lyme <laughs> disease several several okay uh do we have any idea chip on how um no i, mean, I have we, no idea about any way we're gonna ask me i'm not gonna answer <laughs> okay I, we probably don't have an idea but care to care to wager a guess on how these records were collected i'm thinking when it's metadata you know you yeah, I mean, do, they, do you think the government just letter. went to the companies and the phone companies and collected this metadata? Because it wasn't too long ago when we learned that it was alleged that the government already had this data in massive stores that they could just kind of search their databases for. Uh, I would assume they either got a subpoena or a Nash. I believe, I believe I've seen the word subpoena used in some of the articles, uh, but not all of them. You can get this type of information either through a subpoena or a national security letter. Um, you don't need a warrant. You, It's a very low bar. Uh, people remember my five-year struggle to release the FBI's files on the International Solidarity Movement, right? They pulled the call records of two of the ISM activists. Uh, and there was like, I don't even know what they were investigating there, right? You know, there was no no reasonable suspicion of a crime or anything. So these records are not that hard to pull. And and to uh, bring in something that I have uh, reported on, um, there were subpoenas uh, to obtain the uh, personal information of WikiLeaks volunteers, many of whom lived in Iceland, were Icelandic, and uh, one could presume that maybe they could go to a um, foreign intelligence uh, surveillance court to get this sort of information. In this case, there were subpoenas uh, delivered to Google and Twitter in order to receive this information. Um, you know, like, w I, I think it's important when we talk about surveillance and um, surveillance without much due process is that there's an assumption that because there's this complete lack of due process, these are things that the government doesn't really want people to know about. But at the end of the day, I think they kind of do want people to know about some of these things because they want to, it, you know, uh, create this sort of panopticon chilling effect. And they want people to know uh, to a certain extent that they can uh, obtain these files. Chip, you're looking a little skeptical here. Of, no, of I'm claim. just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about sort of, you know, in the '60s, right? I think it was the '60s. Smith v. Maryland, the Supreme Court rules you don't need a warrant to get uh, metadata. There's an incidence where this woman's getting like prank calls, and they go and put some sort of device at the phone company that records. You know, back in the '60s, this is a big deal to see who's calling someone. Uh, today, you could just, I guess, look at the Verizon bill um, and, and and records all that. The Supreme Court rules it's not a search, and Congress goes and passes legislation, which requires you to get a subpoena or a national security letter to, to, to get this type of information. So uh, the standard's incredibly low, but there is a standard because people in the elected branch were disturbed by the Supreme Court being like, this doesn't need a warrant. Of course, they didn't make the standard a warrant. They made it a subpoena or a national security letter, which neither one is that hard to get. The Biden... I, I, oh, go ahead, Sam. I was also going to say, I, I think it's important to note that in the context of this uh, sort of uh, erosion of due process and... Um, the erosion of civil liberties that, as Chip noted, has gone, um, has spanned several administrations now. Uh, it really all stems from the war on terror mindset and the country's reaction to 9-11. And in some of this reporting, we see that, uh, you know, President Biden is sort of saying that, oh, I would never... Uh, subpoena the records of journalists. Well, <laughs> let's see about that. You know, we're we're only five months in to the Biden administration. This is a guy who called Julian Assange a high tech terrorist just just for publishing information, 
uh, a guy who didn't really seem to have much of a problem with the Obama administration going after James Risen, uh, the AP reporters, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it really stems to a deeper malaise in society and a collective sort of um, sickness that we haven't really been able to treat since the, the attacks of 9-11. Yeah, I mean, 9-11 is part of the story here, but the war against due process in just sort of mundane criminal matters predates 9-11 by a long shot. It goes back to you know, as soon as the Warren Corps is making decisions like Miranda, and for decades you have these Nancy Grace types on television who do this sensationalistic crime reporting. Everyone's guilty already because they know, because they're on the television and they know more than anyone else. And, you know, when people aren't found guilty, it's because of, you know, high-priced defense attorneys and liberal judges and just this sort of bullshit narrative that's been allowed to fester and unfortunately, I think a lot of people across the political spectrum, you know, engage in a lot of Nancy Grace-like behavior or or sort of question concepts like, you know, is someone, you know, reasonable doubt and 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 things like that. So I think it's a wider cultural problem. You know, there used there used to be civil liberties groups that defended uh, the due process rights of the criminally accused. That's increasingly politically unpopular, even more so than it was. So. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a dark situation when it comes to the state of criminal procedure in the United States. And the problem is far greater than the war on terror. And it also involves a lot of well-meaning people because, like, bad crimes do happen, right? Violent crimes, crimes of exploitation, crimes of abuse. And, you know, you get these sorts of highly sort of uh, emotional subjects and people just come in and, and exploit that to like, okay, Take away, you make it easier to search people's houses, make it easier to convict people, less evidence required, you know, vilify defense attorneys, vilify, you know, judges who don't throw the books at people. Um, and it, 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 there's a lot of different moving pieces here, um, it, it, including some well-meaning people who are rightfully reacting to horrible, violent crimes, as well as just cynical authoritarians like Nancy Grace and the drug war. Uh, drug war was a huge problem here and, and the war on terror. I think a lot of this also goes back to the need to abolish police. And these are, you know, federal investigators. They're not like your beat cops. But at the end of the day, they are police. And one common characteristic of a lot of police officers is they're really fucking lazy. And if they have tools and uh, methods that allow them to find answers regardless of the civil liberties that are violated in the process they will often choose those methods so if you're in a leak investigation at the department of justice why not just go and subpoena every journalist or find every journalist's phone records and do an easy job with your with your investigation there um so i mean even if we you know had some sort of cultural awakening uh, that move to enact, you know, tighter controls on investigators and police and rules. I mean, they'd still break them. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I might be trending too much into like an anarchist argument here against that that anybody in this position is going to be corrupted, so we can't have these positions. But I, I mean, you know, I, cops I, I, aren't I allowed to do a lot of things, and we still see them engage in a lot of these uh, behaviors that violate people's civil liberties. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I mean, I think that's they're both problems, right? And I don't yeah, think one yeah, nullifies are. or excuses the other, right? The fact that we have people in our society who may or may not be well-meaning, who are screaming that it's too hard to convict people in certain really bad crimes. Well, how do how do or... we how do we how do we rectify the fact that we do have an unequal justice system that allows people who crashed our economy, who exploit millions, uh, who engage in rampant fraud, to not face any sort of punishment? Whereas, you know, someone who uses a counterfeit bill to buy cigarettes is executed by cops like you have to somehow highlight this discrepancy yes no when... i agree with that i agree with that yes I, I i don't have any sympathy for financial crimes um 
And in those uh, cases, the reason why these people aren't prosecuted is because they do have access to uh, well-connected, uh, high-cost defense teams. And there's a also, number of reasons why they're not prosecuted. There's, probably the complexity of crimes, too. A lot of the conduct is legal. Yeah, well, there's a lot that a lot of the conduct <laughs> is legal. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a there is a two tiered system of justice, but the problem is not you know too much due process, not you know bad defense attorneys. The problem is that's not the problem, and like lowering the standards across the board, so we live right. in this sort of disturbing authoritarian society that's very equal, uh, in which we all you know have our due process rights regularly violated is not the solution. I think some people seem to think it is, uh, but it's it's not. Sam, I think your problem is you're not going um, anarchist enough. Uh, no, no, I, no more anarchism. <laughs> I've had it. No. Well, I was just going to say that. the anarchist in the duo bring, here. Bring that back, is, bring back the UFOs. I prefer that to to, <laughs> to the anarchists. Well, I just think in this case, it's 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 not so much um, a, a, an issue of police abolition as it is of like national security state abolition because uh in the cases of of the reporters and the subpoenaing of their records we're talking about like the heart of the legal matter is um you know we have an unofficial state secrets act and um these aren't you know quote unquote uh crime state secrets act yeah, that the, uh, you know, that, oh dear, I may have uh, talked myself into a corner here, but, you know, the idea that leaking um, classified information uh, uh, is a criminal act. We have an official act for that, Sam. Sure. Well, but, the Espionage Act, which was modeled in part off of the British State Secrets Act. Okay, well, f- fair enough. Um the broader application now I realize that a, a, a pedant, 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 but... pedant, pedant. <laughs> two can play at that game. Yeah. Well, I, we I, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying here is that like, this is not per se an issue of like the typical sort of over policing that we see in marginalized communities. This is a case of a, uh, of a government that, uh, that operates in, in, extreme secrecy because it has a a global hegemonic interests all over the world. Um, Redundant there. But anyway, the the point is, is that the heart of this matter is, is maybe is the national security state itself and not overzealous policing uh, as we commonly know it. No, I think there are two very different problems. and maybe that's not going too anarchist, Sarah. No, I think there are two different problems that people oftentimes fold into, you know, one another. Like, yes, the FBI, our police, you know, the problem with, like, local city cops who, like, rummage through neighborhoods and beat people up is a very different problem than, like, what goes on in the J. Edgar Hoover building. They're involved in different types of policing. They're both bad. They're bad in different ways. I don't think folding everything into one category where like, well, all of the things are bad. Therefore, all I have to know is that, you know, they're bad, you know, works. And I I think there's a lot of um, simplistic thinking that is popular these days. And simplistic thinking has always been popular. More to to my point was the uh, use of certain methods um, that cops like FBI agents are going to use whatever tools they have at their disposal to find to 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 conduct an investigation and f- arrive at a conclusion. And technology has given them very powerful tools to do this. That yes, when using those tools, they can trample on people's civil liberties. Yeah. But at the end of the day, cops like FBI agents don't give a shit because they are lazy. That was my, my ultimate argument. Like, I do yeah, think, I think that they're, yes. that, I mean, I do think that they're, and I wasn't trying to, to sort of make the, the broader connection of, of the, 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 the sort of war on terror, national security state, 
come home to police the streets and black communities. But I do think that there are a lot of parallels there and a lot of the same motivations at work. I mean, in the same way that the feds will set up a a young Muslim man to commit a an act of terror that was not his idea at all but just exploit this guy is very similar to the way like buy and bust yeah yeah the way the or, cops or, that, that terrorize yeah. black communities no with, that's true stuff like that's that, true so. point the most horrifying thing to me in the movie seven the uh david fincher movie about the the serial killer who does like horrible things is the scene where they pull the serial killer's library records like the greasy FBI agent comes and gives. I have the not two seen this movie. Blitz. Oh yeah, but I know, Kevin I know Spacey. The I know the ending. Kevin, just Kevin Spacey, who yeah. probably didn't have to undergo a lot of preparation for the role. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was, I was, I was just like, okay, okay, you're okay, and I go, oh my god, they've got the library records. That was that was my reaction while watching it. Do yeah, I mean, I guess like at some point, uh, it, po- police think it's useful to look at someone's library records, or else it wouldn't be. Well, a in thing. the movie Seven, it's key to the plot. Is it because so. the <laughs> it's very it's how they checking find out books, color. how to do crimes, and then doing those crimes. No, they're checking out like Pilgrim's Progress, hmm. a book about this. Never mind, a book about the Seven Deadly Sins. The police officers are also like highly intellectual, as is the serial killer. Everyone is like has a lot of knowledge of like you know just like the real world you just have yeah british lit criminals and cops just the highest intellect people going at each other every day a battle of the wits yeah a battle of the wits should we uh wrap it up there any final thoughts on anything snacks this story whatever no i haven't brought up I have to go to my office, so, you know. I would like to talk about these. Uh, I was going to suggest it this week, but maybe for next week or not at all. But okay. I, I am interested in talking about these, uh, the, the, the government pushing the sonic weapons stuff or the microwave oh, weapons stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I don't have any intel there. Maybe for next then neither week. Does, neither does the U.S. Yeah, government. exactly. None of us do. <laughs> so it makes a great uh, topic just to bullshit about. <laughs> maybe it was the UFOs. Yeah, maybe it was your friends, the UFOs. Maybe, maybe it's more likely than the uh, theory that's being put forward by certain people. Let me just say, I'm a little, I'm a little miffed at some online conduct by two friends of the show, Chip and Ted, who were riffing with each other last night about how dumb everybody is who believes in aliens by Not sharing quite what happened but 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 um, you know, okay you're right I, maybe i am exaggerating yeah, that but let me say what exactly did happen is okay. you you and ted uh and i hope ted hears this i hope ted does too <laughs> ted shared a claim by some twitter account that didn't include any link any sort of corroboration that claimed that the pentagon was already using the ufo releases to ask for more funding for more weapons research programs or flight research programs, which is a claim that's often repeated, but uh, I haven't seen anywhere. I haven't seen this okay. this this ask anywhere. The, well, all I, I know. I have the record in front of me. Okay, what do you got? So the original the, the tweet that was quoted was did everyone catch Defense Department officials claiming UFOs exist and then immediately pivoting to using them as a justification for more military funding so that the US can win a hypothetical in- intergalactic arms race. Then Ted for Stack retweeted that twelve hours ago. Literally every time they start talking about aliens, there's a massive new Pentagon budget on the way, to which I replied, Thank you. I would just note that there is always... I'd like to note yeah. that Sam made a claim that Ted and I were online riffing about how dumb everyone is <laughs> who believes in aliens, and literally Ted said something about Pentagon budgets, and I said, thank you? I would like people to recognize that Sam has a very what are you, dishonest what were you, what were you thanking? Of- what were you thanking Ted for? I used to watch the Dr. Phil show, and when in the Dr. <laughs> Phil house... Dr. Phil would physically shake you and tell you he was sick of hauling your lazy ass around. You would have to thank him for doing so. <laughs> I'm just I, saying, I, just like, I would every, have expected. Every, every, I, I, every look, interaction in the Dr. Did, Phil house, Sam ends with thank you for sharing. And on that note, I end this program with Sam Knight, Sam Sachs. Thank you for sharing. I, I'm just thank looking you, for thank corroboration. You for sharing, but- I'm just looking for corroboration on the claim 
that was retweeted that and that you, you thanked that you thanked for. I'm looking is? for corroboration. That's all I want is a link. I want a link. Okay, but you still you made a dissent. You made a factually false comment about the content I, of I, the messages. I would, I would just, just like, like to say, say that. Thank you for sharing your lie, Sam. If we replay the like... tip, if we replay the, the, the exchange, and I'm not going to do it now, but the listeners I, can replay the exchange. I, I started saying please something. Please do. Please, no, no, no. Please read it again, because I have something to say about this exchange. Read it again. I can't read it. I can't physically read it. I don't know how to rewind the tape or anything. We're recording. I'm going to get fired. And I will have to chip chat like all the time then. I just want to say, I will apologize when I first started explaining this story. When I first started explaining the story and listeners can go back and listen, I did uh, explain it in a way that was incorrect. And then when you explained it, I said, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then I pivoted to get more detail and clarity on what exactly my beef was. Not that you guys were calling or you all were calling (laughs) UFOs, UFOs. People who believe in it is stupid, but that you were sharing uncorroborated, unlinked information, disinformation on Twitter. That's all I was saying. Let Chip go to work. Thank someone. For what? That's what I'm asking for. This is why you think circumstantial evidence should send people to the death chamber, Sam. That's what I think. Now you're lying about me. Now you're lying about me. Nancy Grace erosion of due process mentality at work here, right? But, 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 but. Like, one does not support the other. There is a textual record. There's a close reading of the text you can give. Anything beyond that is unwarranted speculation. All I'm looking You're for is a link. You're speculating about my internal motives and dialogues to which you do not know because you neither have the capacity to read my mind, nor are you trained in psychoanalysis to the best of my know knowledge. How, yeah, to the best of your knowledge, that's right. But, and I said to the best of my knowledge, whereas you... You know, yes, I, I acknowledge the limits Sam Knight, go ahead, have the last word on this. Okay, the UFO Pentagon budget thing is circumstantial evidence because the Pentagon budget always increases every year. So by that logic, you can't talk about anything because if you talk about anything, the Pentagon budget will increase because it already is. I'm glad I've taught you to be more rigorous in, in your argumentation today. I'm, I'm proud of your remark. Just, Thank you. Thank you. Now let, let's let Chip, Chip go to work. Okay, let's let I have Chip something needs to, add, to work, but I'm not going to add it. I have, Chip needs to go to work. Say, Chip needs to go to work. Chip has to go to work. I have something that would have ended this debate and declared me the winner, but I'm not going to share it because Chip has to go to work. And then I'm going to go and get lunch. Right. I'm just going to be the person who shows right up two hours late. Enjoy your lunch, Chip. Enjoy your lunch. I will make an effort.